So today we're going to be looking at a divine encounter. And the divine encounter is of a guy named Philip in Acts 8. Now, sometimes there's some confusion about Philip. Uh, Philip, this is not Philip the original disciple. This is sometimes known as Philip the deacon or Philip the uh, evangelist. But it is a different, it is a different Philip. And so this story today will be very familiar to us, but it's always a challenge to me to live like Philip and to be bold like Philip and put it all on the line like Philip. We find out about Philip to begin with uh, in Acts 6 when uh, the apostles were having trouble uh, doing all the teaching and preaching and, and handling all of the spiritual business of the church but they were running into some logistic problems and some managerial problems. And so the uh, widows that were Hellenistic Jews were not being taken care of. So this is the Philip, like Stephen and five others, that were uh, appointed as deacons to help take the load off and serve. And uh, Philip, as we read there, served well. Uh, Stephen, as you know, as you know uh, was a very visible servant during that time. But we hear a lot about those two. We don't really hear anything else about the other five, but they set the stage for the church to operate more smoothly and efficiently. And then they also turned out that they were able to do uh, miraculous things with uh, their relationship with Christ through, through their positions and what they did. But unfortunately, chapter 7 ends with Stephen becoming the first martyr. And so he was, he was killed under the watchful eye of a young, young man named Saul and a young Pharisee named Saul. Many of you know the story there that he, he gave the okay for Stephen to be martyred. And this also uh, led uh, to Saul becoming the chief persecutor of the Christians in Jerusalem in this new church. And so Saul became a villain in the story of our faith as a young Pharisee. But as happens many times when there's, um, when there's terrible things going on in our lives or, or things aren't going well, the uh, persecution uh, triggered the scattering of everyone in the church except the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem, but the Bible tells us that everyone scattered, and so it caused the church to be on the move and the, they'd gotten kind of comfortable in Jerusalem at that time. This, this is anywhere from four to seven years after uh, Jesus. We'd gotten the famous words of Acts 1-8 to go and to go to our neighborhood and our na next neighbors and then on to the world. But quite a bit of time had elapsed in that time. And the church was still hanging out in Jerusalem. And uh, Philip was hanging out in Jerusalem too. And that's, that's just what they did. But... Uh, the fear generated by Stephen and also Paul, Saul at that time, uh, ordering them to go door to door and just drag Christians out in the street and imprison them and to do just dastardly things to Christians is what triggered this and it triggered the growth that we, uh, that we know of in Acts. And then also it continues today as people scattered all over the known world at that time. But fear gripped the church and God used this for the church to grow. And so 
uh, after that time, uh, the church really started to get legs, and many, many became to be believers at that time. And so Philip, wanting to do his part, uh, Philip, many may not know this, but this Philip went on a mission trip of sorts. So, so he left there, and uh, he went to uh, Samaria, and then had a second phase in Judea, and that's just, that's just what Philip did. And so he settled down later in life, but he, he put legs on this, on this uh, command to go and tell. And so the, the, uh, the details of that became a training ground for us even today that we would know, that we would be, have his example to know how to live and lead others and also to go and tell. And so Philip served a big purpose in the church growing at that time and also uh, still sets a model for us today as we do what we do. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into uh, the story about Philip and his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch or the government official. So read with me in Acts uh, chapter 8, start with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning from that journey. Seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? You guys ever do that? You read the Bible and you're like, boy, do I understand what I'm reading? So Philip, he has this uh, evangelical encounter where, where uh, the Holy Spirit really just teed this up for him. He encounters a guy that's lost and the guy's not only lost, but he's sitting there reading the Bible. So isn't that cool what Bible they had at the time? But uh, anyway, it's a, it's a divine appointment for Philip. It really is. You know, he's following this leading of the Holy Spirit, and he goes exactly where he leads him, and he finds a lost man reading scriptures. You can pray that that's how your gospel encounters go this week as well. She'll so come up on the same thing teed up. We'll talk about that a little later. It might be just exactly like that, but you're having these encounters already. You just may not know it. But Philip was very good at this. He, in his missionary journey, the Holy Spirit had led him to Samaria to begin with, and he obeyed. And so when he got there, he didn't just go and preach some and then leave and go somewhere else. He was there for quite some time, and many, many people came to know the Lord uh, during that time. Can you think of a time that you had a divine appointment where God placed you in a, a position and you were able to do something that was totally orchestrated by God? Can you think of a time when somebody orchestrated the opposite of that? When you were in a situation, you had a divine appointment, but you were placed with someone that had that effect on you, that God was able to minister 
to you in a, in a way that was just totally orchestrated by God. Of course we all have. And so that's one of the fun things about God is uh, when those things happen and you're like, oh man, that was so great. But many divine appointments like this lead to salvation. I had that salvation divine appointment many, many, many years ago in New Orleans. And that happened in a, a very odd day, but an odd way. But the uh, divine appointments sometimes aren't that easy to recognize. Sometimes there are other divine appointments that aren't just salvation appointments, and they are huge in our lives. The Bible's also full of those. Had Abraham and the visitors, where uh, these guys show up that are strangers, and they uh, tell him that uh, he and his wife are going to have a baby within a year, and they also warn him about the coming destruction. Sodom and Gomorrah. We also see the divine appointment of Zacchaeus. You remember, he was a small guy, so he climbed up in a tree, and Jesus walked that way. Jesus called him out from that tree. And not only was he a small guy, but he was a bad guy. And he had an encounter with Jesus. It changed him that day because of where he was and what he did. He was called out there. And uh, Jesus even went home with him, set an example, and went home with him. So very, very, very impactful divine appointment for Zacchaeus. And these things are happening all around us all the time, and we just have to be able to identify them and be uh, obedient to participate. But they're not always salvation appointments like this one with uh, the Ethiopian was. Uh, about 40 years ago, I had a divine appointment with a guy named Fred, and uh, he was, uh, in my mind, he was just a greeter at church. I was new in town, and he, uh, he approached me and introduced himself, and he was very nice. And uh, I didn't think much of it. And after church, he said these words I'll never forget. He said, do you like hot fudge cake? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> Who does it? And he said, he said, if you like, he said, I'll go buy you a hot fudge cake and we'll talk. And so I thought, okay, total stranger to me. And so we went, and from that, from that meeting, which seemed like a very chance meeting to me, but from that meeting, uh, he became a mentor to me and uh, poured into my life for the next four years in a huge way. I never had a class with him. He was a professor in a different department. And, uh, but he and his family ended up being mentors for me and my best friends. They didn't just take on me and my love for hot fudge cake. They fed us all. And, uh, but, you know, we thought they were just nice to us because we didn't have any family and all that, but they were pouring into us, you know, how to live, you know, how to treat people, and also biblical foundations that went perfectly along with that. And uh, they also helped us find a place to fix our car and stuff like that where we wouldn't get taken advantage of. But, but anyway, to me, that is, is one of the biggest divine appointments in my life. He served as a mentor for a long time. After that, and so they're not just salvation divine appointments that you can have or that you can, you can participate in as the one that's the giver, the one that's sharing the gospel or the one that is mentoring others, but also you can come in contact with those that will have life-changing effect on you as well. And so there's always 
uh, those type of things going on, but you have to be able, have to, be able to, uh, to recognize those and be a part of those. So God orchestrates encounters for a purpose, leading us to opportunities for growth, service, and to share the gospel, the story of Jesus resurrected, even when we least expect it on a daily basis. So think about the time, that have you, have you had a guy like Fred in your life? Have you been that person? Think about those times, and let's try to emulate those even more. And the next thing we find is that uh, Philip responded to God's prompting. Uh, Philip was very, very good at this. He was very, very good at this. And so he responded to the Holy Spirit a number of times. First, when the Holy Spirit uh, took him to Samaria, and his whole story is of obedience from that point on, from there to, to this road where he ran into, ran into the Ethiopian eunuch. But it was not easy for him to do. We mentioned that the church had gotten comfortable in Jerusalem until Saul just tore that up with such violence and such nastiness, but when he went to Samaria, people uh, were being saved. They were uh, seeing so many different things. It was just a happening place. It would have been very easy for Philip just to have stayed there and preached and led that church in the success that he had. But look with me at uh, Acts 8, and uh, verses 6 through 8, where it describes what was happening in his church. It said, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So Philip is uh, comfortable. He's fulfilling God's purpose in his life in a place that the gospel is just rocking and rolling. I mean, could you imagine being in a place where you were seeing uh, unclean spirits being taken away by God and for people being healed that are paralyzed and all that, and then God tell you, say, well, you've had a pretty good run here, but it's time to go. You'd be like, go. I'm just now getting in my rhythm. You know, what do you mean, God? We're doing these big things here. Probably what I would have been saying is, I'm doing these big things here. And it would not be me. It would be God that's doing those big things. But worse than that, he wasn't called to go from there back to the city where his relatives were and to maybe to an occupation where he made a lot of money. It wasn't that at all. Not only was he moving him from a hugely successful ministry where the church is just growing by leaps and bounds, but he sends him to a desert road. Now that would be more like me sent him to a desert road where there's nothing going on, nothing happening, not many people on that road. And so that was what was even worse. And so God's instructions to Philip did not make worldly sense to him at all. You know, if you're sitting there thinking about worldly things, you're like, you know, we're just baptizing hundreds and thousands of people out here in Samaria, and God's sending me to the desert. So... I'm just not, you know, that's not really what, that's not really what God's calling me to. You know, I, I would have been subject to have argued that. 
and stayed there where all the, where all the big things were going on. So he leaves this success uh, where all we find out about is this encounter with one guy. Now, did he have other encounters on that road? Maybe so. But the only one that we know about is this one with this one guy. Not only is it this one guy, the guy had a huge party of officials with him. I mean, he was an important guy, Secretary of the Treasury for the whole country. So there's a bunch of people with him. But not only was it that, but the guy didn't look like him, probably didn't talk like him, certainly didn't act like him. You know, he'd been a powerful man with money, dark skin, just totally different, totally culture. Uh, this guy was a Gentile. And so just everything about this encounter is not like Philip. It's not like where he's been, not like what he's been doing uh, during this time. And so not only did he leave a successful ministry, but he went to a desert road and started encountering people that weren't even like him. And so what does he do? He's obedient. Do you notice what, how he responded to God's instructions to uh, go to the chariot? He ran. So he wasn't even apprehensive about it. He just, he took what God's uh, commands were to him at face value, and he honored those. Not only he didn't hang around Samaria for extra months, he took off to the desert road, and then when he came in contact with a guy in the chariot, and the Spirit told him, said, go to that chariot, he ran to that chariot. So he had an urgency about him to be obedient to God's instructions for him. He also had an urgency about him to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he was in a hurry to get there. He was in a big hurry to get there. And so nothing like when we tell our children to do something and they say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get that. I'll get that. Yeah, I'll get that. Don't worry. I, yeah, I'm picking it up in a minute. Yeah, I'll do that. It's nothing like that at all. Man, every time he was instructed, he just went. It wasn't like our pastor just had a long series about Jonah. How obedient was that guy? I mean, Jonah was a clown. You know, he, he did everything he could to keep from being obedient, but not Philip. Philip was an example of one that did everything and did everything with zeal and with a hurry for the Lord. So sometimes we're led by God uh, to our own desert road, and this is just where God placed us to do His amazing work. Or maybe sometimes He's preparing us for something that's going to happen to us later in our life, something that's yet to come that we don't know about. And God's put us on a desert road uh, to prepare us for something in the future. But we should be obedient with zeal. Philip didn't question it, and we shouldn't either. And so Philip's a great picture of obedience to us when you uh, hear God's prompting and the Holy Spirit working, run to that assignment. Just be obedient. So... Um, as followers of Christ, we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings and willing to step out in faith, even if it's not where we want to go or what we want to do or the type of people we want to talk to or even people we don't know. We have to be willing, willing to do that. So let's move on. Let's move on to Acts 8, uh, 31 through 34. 
And he said, uh, we'll back up one where in 30 where uh, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So the Ethiopian official is in full seeker mode. I mean full seeker mode. He had been, uh, he was a God-fearing person. He had already been to Jerusalem to church, so to speak. But he was, even on his way back to his home country, he was reading scriptures and trying to understand. And Isaiah, if you think about reading Isaiah from the front end before these prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus, then they would be quite confusing, wouldn't they? They're quite confusing to some now. But to him, who doesn't know that this has already happened, this part, then it was very, very confusing for him. But he had such humility and uh, openness to learn about God that he, he asked for help. I mean, it's a powerful government official, but he asked this stranger on the side of the desert road, hey, explain this to me. And uh, we're conditioned by the sadness of the world to believe that there is no hope and that God is no longer working. And I don't believe this. And I don't think most of the people that we encounter on a daily basis believe this either. I mean, if you read what's on the news, you know, nobody believes in God. Nobody has any good left in them. Nobody has any desire to do better. I mean, if you, you start following, following the narrative, then it would really discourage you from trying to share even with that one. You know, that you wouldn't consider that even just that one could make a difference. You know, you can have the what difference will it make anyway. Well, it might make a big difference to that person. And so I can guarantee you it will make a big difference to that person. And so we have to, we have to kind of beat back the narrative of the world. And this isn't a new narrative. You know, the world's not been a good place since the beginning. You know, original sin and all of that. So this isn't a new narrative. But it is one that is very, very loud now because it's coming from so many different ways and so many different things that you can hear that from. So we're just conditioned to that, but people are still seeking God. The Holy Spirit is still working on lost people's hearts, and they're looking for someone, us, to tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, they're not looking for somebody else. You know, they're in contact with us. They're looking for us to do that. Verse 31 really brings this home where he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And so that, that tells the whole story. You know, it's kind of like a salesman that goes and gives all the product and shows all the great things that their product will do. And even, might even tell them how much it costs 
but then they never offer to sell them the product. Would that be infuriating to you? Boy, would it. Like if you had a buggy full of groceries and you got to the front and nobody would take your money or let you out. So if there's nobody closing the deal, if there's nobody connecting the dots to salvation, nobody willing to go that extra step like Philip and explain that, then how will they know? How will people know? Do you know folks like the Ethiopian that are seeking and really need somebody to explain it, explain it to them, but for whatever reason, you've not done that? Maybe because they're a close family member or because at work you're not supposed to talk about that or, or whatever, whatever reason. I'm too close to the situation. I don't want to make them mad, you know. Do you know people like that? That maybe you're the one that's supposed to be the contact that connects the dots for them? Maybe so. How will they know unless we guide them through the salvation process and tell them the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that we have? Who will tell them if we don't? This government official, he had a huge hunger uh, for understanding Scripture, and he was searching for that one thing that only Jesus could provide. And he wasn't just going to church to try to figure it out. He was traveling a long way to go, but he was reading Scripture. He was, he was doing all of this to find out. And that's, that's where many people are. Even though we see the world as no hope sometimes, and we start believing the narrative, that's not the way it is. Many people are looking for that hope. Let's read Acts 8, 35-39. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And then it said, But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea, because that's what Philip does, right? Preaches the gospel. But that's what he, that's what he does. So, so, what about his seeker's heart? He was already reading Isaiah 53. Philip probably even got to tell him, go back further in that, talk about him being you know, pierced for our transgressions. Probably got to tell him the whole story, the whole story of Christ's sacrifice, not just the part he was reading but probably got to talk about all of it. And so that is so, so cool, isn't it, that we have that same opportunity to explain that to a dying world now. The gospel's available to everybody, even though some don't have access to it yet. And it has the power to transform lives. So when Philip connected the dots of salvation, there was immediate change in the Ethiopian's life a very immediate change. He immediately asked to be baptized. He showed all of this party with him. It could have been 25 or 30 of them. 
his commitment. He displayed through baptism that commitment that he made to make Jesus Lord of his life. So he did that immediately. The whole traveling party of his subordinates saw that. Also, um, it said that he went away rejoicing. He had joy in his heart, and he was showing it where he went. Now, I don't know where he went in the desert to show that, but we do know that he went somewhere. He went home to Ethiopia and was still rejoicing. And so all of this was because Philip was obedient to tell the story of Christ crucified and the resurrection. And so that was, that was not the end of the story, though. We find that the church in Ethiopia took off in the early church. And the first known convert that we have of that is this story in the Bible where Philip was willing to sacrifice leaving where he was comfortable and going to a desert place and sharing with this guy. And so what difference does it make if we do that with one? It makes a world of difference to who they come in contact with too. Uh-oh. There it is. The, uh, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in what happens in the world. The difference in salvation and eternity to many, but also, also much more in uh, the contacts that you make. You don't have to just tell one, right? Philip had done this hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. So we have the opportunity to do this more than once. And God's setting the table every day through the Holy Spirit working in our lives and other people's lives to do this much more than once. So what does it mean for us today? How can this story from a couple thousand years ago help us? And what can we do? The, uh, we do need to seek out folks that are lost daily. And we also need to uh, seek out ways to serve God and expand the kingdom in other ways. And uh, so, so that's number one. How can you do this? It's a pretty simple way. The first thing you can do in the morning is pray for lost people by name. How do your prayer requests usually go? Pray for a lot of health and a lot of financial needs and a lot of different stuff. And then we say, and God, I pray for the lost people in the world to hear. Well, let's replace that. Well, let's, I pray for my cousin so-and-so that's lost. And God, you show me a way that I can be the guy that makes a difference in their life. Start praying for those lost people by name. You might find that God will have huge plans for you and make you connect with that person, whether you like it or not. It may, it may happen because of your prayers and your wishes. You need to uh, also be more intentional with folks you don't know. How many of you use the same cashier at the same place all the time to build a relationship to either share the gospel or invite them to church? Hayden does. Hayden does. He wants to be a difference. It's a great way to build relationships with people and start spiritual conversations. Even if you can't start a gospel conversation with them at that moment, you can start spiritual conversations with them. And that can lead to ways that uh, you can share the gospel or that they can hear the gospel in other ways and be changed as well. And then there's one very, very simple way 
that you can do this. And so I'm about to put on my company hat, my company. I wish I had my name tag like Marcus, but I'm not sure where mine is. You can pick these up off the counter out there and give them to your unchurched neighbors, unchurched friends, and get them here. Because I assure you, lead Pastor Matt will share the gospel that day in a big way. And the gospel's big on its own, isn't it? So you can do that with people you know, people you come in contact with. It's not threatening at all. Hand them a card and invite them to church. Surveys still show that the bulk of people that come to church, they say they came because somebody asked them. So do that. But that doesn't replace your uh, commandment to share the gospel personally with people. That's just another tool you have that's at your disposal with a gospel-preaching church. Just another tool. One last thing, we would be kind of goofy. Vernon, come on up. We'd be kind of goofy if we didn't say this. There's people here that have never connected the dots themselves. They've, uh, you know, they've never really turned their life over to Jesus as Lord. So if you're in that crowd today, there'll be some guys down front that would love to talk to you about that, about how you can, how you can do that today. Uh, you also can, uh, can uh, come down front. The altar's open for prayer. So come down front and pray. I'm sure some others will join you and pray with you if, uh, if you need to spend this time in prayer as well.